Good morning and welcome to Church of the Cross again. Uh, it is really great to be with you here this morning. This week, as I reflected on this passage from the book of Daniel, the passage we just heard read, and even reflected on the uh, happenings of this week, the verdict that came down regarding the death of Breonna Taylor, um, I was thinking about reflecting on this poem, uh, a poem that came to me in the form of a song, but it's a poem, Still I Rise, by Maya Angelou. It was popularized by Ben Harper in a song years ago. But this powerful and provocative poem begins with the words, you may write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lies. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still, like the dust, I'll rise. Putting that statement in the context of our broken world with unjust laws and corrupt systems invites the question, how? Why? In what way will those who are underfoot, those who are written down and written out, come to rise? Two weeks ago, Father Nick preached on an earlier section from Daniel chapter 2, Daniel's interpretation of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And in that interpretation, and as Father Nick explained, Daniel identifies this statue with the feet of clay and a rock that destroys, you might remember. Using those images, Father Nick spoke of the frailty, the brokenness of all human authority and the hope of Christ and his kingdom this hope of God's just, peaceful, indestructible reign. That's the hope for which we long. That's the hope that poem speaks of, the hope of those who are downtrodden and crushed, being lifted up in the end, far in the future, perhaps. Our reading this morning follows up with that interpretation. These four verses are sandwiched between that dramatic interpretation of Daniel and the fiery furnace in chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this exciting story. And the verses we heard read this morning kind of have this summary or even transitional quality to them. But instead of glossing over them, skipping along, we're going to pause here today because I think the Lord has something specific for us as Church of the Cross today. Something for us as we seek to live faithfully in a beastly age. As we come to that, Let's pause in prayer. Gracious and almighty God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your spirit that inspired the writing, the recording of these words. And we ask that that same spirit would, at work, would work now among us in our hearts and minds, enlivening us to the truth, to the reality that these words point to, and strengthening us to live in light of them. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. In our reading this morning, in light of Daniel's insight, his interpretation, Nebuchadnezzar responds with this ostentatious display. He bows and pays homage to Daniel. He orders that incense be offered up on his behalf. He promotes him to this place of great authority. But in the midst of all of that, that display, Nebuchadnezzar also offers this striking confession. And from that confession, I want to reflect on what it is that is the fruit of faithful living. What's the fruit of faithfulness in our lives? In a lot of ways, Daniel's story seems like an almost fairy tale, rags to riches kind of story. Daniel ascends from this place of exile and great danger to the highest offer, highest offices, the highest honor in the land. You almost expect the story to 
conclude with this celebratory marriage or something. But beyond the honors and courtly celebration of Daniel, this particular confession that Nebuchadnezzar gives in verse 47 is striking. Surely your God, Daniel, is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. I think the explosive, unexpected nature of these words, this confession, might be lost on us. We live in democratic times where we expect authorities to acknowledge their own limitations, to to live within certain restrictions. That is not true of Nebuchadnezzar here. Nebuchadnezzar is no democratic appointed leader. He's an ancient Near Eastern king of a superpower, a superpower that's rampaging across the earth. And that he would make this kind of confession is something else entirely. It's revolutionary even. His acknowledgement of Yahweh, Daniel's God, this foreign God as God of gods and Lord of kings, is this remarkable expression of submission, of an acceptance of limits, of an authority beyond his own. Counter to the expectations, the culture of the day, Nebuchadnezzar in a way is saying, he is God, Yahweh is God, and I am not. Obviously, as the next chapters unfold, this is something Nebuchadnezzar struggles to follow through on, to realize in his own rule. But the confession here is no less striking, no less revolutionary, and no less revealing when it comes to the life of the people of God, the fruit of faithfulness. When we walk in faithfulness to the Lord, even in a beastly age, we contribute to making known who God is, And who is God? A life lived in submission to the word of God, living in line with the intentions and desires of the creator of all things, following Jesus, helps to make known who God is. Beyond the glory of eternal life, beyond the hope of the kingdom of God in the future, the fruit of walking faithfully is to make known the glory and goodness of Jesus. During normal times when we're gathered together as Church of the Cross in our corporate worship, in a word of welcome to newcomers, we often say, it's our hope in this time this morning that you have a sense, a taste of God's goodness and grace. We have this expectation as we gather together, as we faithfully follow Jesus together, that people will get a glimpse, a sight of the truth of who Jesus is and what God is doing in the world. But that same expectation exists for the people of God scattered, scattered throughout our city, throughout our state, throughout our nation, faithfully living. As you make decisions to follow Jesus, your very life comes to bear witness to the reality of God's goodness and presence, to the reality of Jesus' kingship and lordship. How does that happen, we might ask? What actually is at work there? Well, in Daniel's case, this involves a couple of things that we've looked at previously. As a faithful person of God, we've already talked about in previous weeks, Daniel stands in distinction, in a distinct place in relation to the culture and society around him. He refrains from certain things. He adopts certain patterns, certain rhythms of life. You might say he inhabits an alternative ethos. There's something weird or different about him. He's distinct. And yet that distinction, that difference, doesn't manifest itself in complete separation from the wider culture, does it? 
Daniel, as we've seen, doesn't have a choice. He can't up and leave. He can't head to the desert. He remains at court, as our reading reminds us. He doesn't separate himself out. Even in that place, right? He can't leave, we might say. But even in that place, there's no sense of resentment or rejection even of the culture around him. There's remarkable service rendered, right? Daniel serves the city around him in exile. And if anyone had an excuse to write off the culture around him, the world around him, it was Daniel. For all its sinfulness, for the ways it dehumanized people, the way it dehumanized him and his own people, for all his legitimate rage and anger, Daniel exists there, distinct, distinctly for the Lord, but a blessing to his neighbors, to people that he easily could regard as enemies. He serves that place, serves that people. And the blessing he receives from God, right? The, the ability to interpret dreams, the insight, the wisdom, he utilizes in a remarkable way in the service of others, the city around him. This is what it means to live faithfully, distinctly for the Lord, but in service to our neighbors, to our enemies, to the city, the world around us. I can often have this overinflated sense of the obstacles, the challenges of living faithfully today. If it could only be at a monastery, you know, away from the trappings of modern life, away from all these pesky people, you know, then I might be able to be faithful, devoted in prayer. If only the world was a little less complicated, a little less frenetic, if only the pandemic would end, then I could love my neighbor. Perhaps you can relate to some of those feelings. Perhaps you can relate to this sense too. If only I had that person's intelligence, that person's insight, or that person's vision and energy, then I would truly be faithful. We're tempted, I think, to overinflate the obstacles that we face in terms of faithfulness. We're tempted to kind of disqualify ourselves even. Perhaps this is a word specifically for parents, but I've talked with some of you. I know some of you. And the expressions that I've sometimes heard is, I wish that my kids had a different father or mother who could be more faithful, who could embody better the qualities that I aspire to. I wish there was someone else who could do this job. These temptations, this sense of overinflating the obstacles, perhaps, is real. But it ignores the reality that Daniel preaches to us. Because the reality is, is that the same God who in Daniel is described as Lord of kings, God of gods, supreme over the nations, over the globe, has placed you with all your limitations, with all your foibles and failings in this time, in this place, with these people, the people you might be watching this with. He's placed you in the peculiarities of 2020, in the specificity of your vocation. He has called you to faithfulness here and now today. And as you humbly, falteringly follow after King Jesus, as you seek to be distinctly his own, loving God, loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, your life bears particular fruit. Others come to catch a glimpse, to recognize the goodness, the presence of God. Come to recognize that such a life, humbly lived, is lived in alignment with reality, 
that Jesus is Lord. I was chatting with a friend not too many weeks ago who doesn't come to Church of the Cross, but she's a homemaker. And she was commenting how a cousin of hers, a member of her family, has communicated to her that they're like giving Christianity a shot. They're considering the claims of the Christian faith in a way they never have before. They don't have a church background. They don't go to church. They don't have a Christian upbringing. And one of the reasons they've given for why it is that they're considering the Christian faith and its claims is the decency of this person's life, the homemaker and her husband. She used that word, the cousin, the decency of your life, the culture that you're seeking to create with your kids, the way that you guys do life together is decent, and I need that. That's the fruit of faithfulness in this very basic way. One of the foundational quotes for how I understand the church and has informed my sense of calling as a priest comes from Leslie Newbegin. Some of you will have definitely heard me say this. But he states that the greatest hermeneutic of the gospel, that is the greatest thing that makes plain and compelling the truth of the good news of Jesus, is a people who live as though it is true, who live as though the resurrection is a reality, that the love of God is confirmed to us in the cross of Jesus, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's not discounting the work of argumentation. He's not saying we don't need to have reasonable intellectual defenses of the Christian faith. But he's speaking to the power of our lives to show the gospel as livable, to show it as an alternative ethos, a decent sort of life in an indecent age to foster an atmosphere where it's more credible to believe that Jesus is Lord, that God is the God of gods. I think of many of you in your various vocations and work, faithfully living, following after Jesus, where you are. I think of Gary Wong and his work as an architect. If you've never had the chance to talk with Gary about the craft of architecture, you're missing out. You need to hear his passion for buildings and structures, for processes with clients and stakeholders that take seriously their desires, that reflect the glory of God, I would say, in some profound way. I think about Mina Matoka and her work as an artist, humbly, as a follower of Jesus, authentically, not in an overbearing way, but in this generous way, occupying the space, the arts space, as a humble follower of Jesus, it is beautiful. I think about Brian Bigelow. I was just reminded this weekend of his cheerful and consistent presence, of his desire to do business with integrity and excellence, and the ways God is using him to draw people to Jesus, to faith in demonstrable, tangible ways. I think of Shirley Wofford and her faithfulness in prayer and in action to her friends bearing witness to Jesus simply through the ministry of presence. There are so many others of you that I could name, of course, at home, in your neighborhoods, at school, at work, bearing the fruit of faithfulness, living distinctly for Christ, following the example, I would say, of David, or of Daniel, distinct and serving. My basic encouragement is keep going. In her wonderful book on vocational stewardship, kingdom calling, Amy Sherman reflects on Proverbs 11, verse 10. That verse reads, 
When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. We might say in the language I'm using, when the faithful prosper, the city rejoices. And in the book, she expands on just who such people are. She expands on the ways they resist the temptations of power, privilege, wealth, materialism. The way they resist those things, that they might serve others and lead to the flourishing, the benefit of those around them. We don't have time to get into this, but I'm struck by just how Daniel serves in this larger empire that has done so much to him and does so much to others. It raises the question of like the challenge of compromise, right? What does it mean to be in and not of the world? I think there might be a glimpse of how to do this in the ways that Daniel calls forth or has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego brought up to serve with him in some different way. There's a sense of community perhaps there, the need for accountability and others to support us that we don't give in to these temptations. But Sherman describes here how such people, living faithfully, living righteously, bring about foretastes of the kingdom that Jesus brings. Tastes of shalom, we might say. Of course, such actions, such a way of life, doesn't always bring accolades or rejoicing. The city doesn't always rejoice over faithfulness and righteousness. In these few verses, we see that this way of life bears fruit for Daniel, right? He's honored, he's celebrated, he's exalted. It's a great thing. I wish I could tell you that living faithfully with integrity will lead to that promotion you're longing for, the prosperity you hope for, that it will mean your kids will excel and be delivered from any sort of trouble. They'll get into the best schools. It means you'll ace the GRE or whatever it is that is before you. I wish I could tell you that, but you know better, don't you? Faithfulness may be recognized and honored, but in a broken and fallen world, is just as likely to lead to difficulty and missing out. Perhaps most likely to just being unseen, hidden, uncelebrated. Our world is fallen and often unable to recognize the beauty of holiness, the goodness of righteousness. And any city's capacity to rejoice over righteousness, over the righteous, is simply a glimpse of that better city yet to come, fleeting. A glimpse of Jesus' new Jerusalem. But I want you to hear something particular about Nebuchadnezzar's confession this morning. He confesses the lordship of Daniel's God. This tyrant recognizes the presence, the sovereignty of Yahweh. I want to suggest to you that this confession itself however imperfectly realized, is in fact the kingdom of God coming into fruition. It is the kingdom we long after, the kingdom Jesus announces and brings coming to bear in the present. You see, the kingdom of heaven, the, the world we long for, the world that Jesus brings, is not this free-floating kind of campaign platform unattached from anything or anyone. It's rooted and connected to a person, to the person of God, to the reality of God's kingship in Jesus. At the very core of this kingdom, the core of the justice, the peace we long after, 
is recognition that Jesus is Lord. He is king and no one else. What all this implies then is that Nebuchadnezzar's confession is nothing less than the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. The confession itself is part of the kingdom. It's the seed, the beginning of a more just, righteous, and good ordering of things. Daniel's faithfulness has created an atmosphere where the kingdom of God becomes more real, more concrete. The dream that Daniel interprets, the dream that he hopes for feels far off in so many ways, does it not? But as Daniel lives faithfully, distinctly, as he serves the city around him in the name of his God, as he lives in anticipation of that future city, it actually becomes a reality. The city in which the righteous are a cause of rejoicing draws near as we live faithfully now where God has placed us in a broken world. This is kind of a hot button thing, but yesterday Amy Coney Barrett was announced as a new nominee for the Supreme Court. Obviously very controversial, the timing of it very controversial. Even her suitability for the court is something that will be debated and argued over, fought over. And one of the comments that she's made that's been parsed to determine her suitability relates to her sense of being a Christian in the legal profession. She said something a few years ago to the effect that in addition to being an excellent jurist, she is called to build the kingdom of God. That's the phrase that's been argued over, determining what exactly she might mean. I don't fully know what she meant, but from what I've seen of the context, Judge Barrett seems to be getting at something of this reality in her words. As you faithfully follow after Jesus in your vocation, in your work, mundane and hidden as it is, you have the opportunity to participate, I would say, in the building of God's kingdom. Not as a theocratic state, but as an atmosphere. An atmosphere where it is more conducive to saying and naming that Jesus is Lord, where it's more palpable, believable, compelling. And as you live in such a way, that longed for, longed after reality, that setting right of a broken world, a work that's finished in Jesus' death upon the cross, but coming to fruition in every act of faithfulness today, until he comes again to set it all right at last, is good and noble work. The raising up of those who are downtrodden, the making new of all things. That is the work he's called you to, and me to, humbly, right where we are. All that is the fruit of faithfulness. There's a quote by George Eliot in her book, Middlemarch, that I want to end with. She writes that for the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts, uncelebrated acts. And that things are not so ill, so bad with you and me as they might have been is halfway owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs, who are uncelebrated, perhaps even laid low, downtrodden, but will rise in the kingdom to come, will be known and celebrated for their faithfulness 
and the fruit that their lives bore. May it be so among us. Let me pray for us. Gracious and almighty God, as we reflect upon these words, I ask that your spirit would move in power among us and that what I've just shared that is of you would remain and be driven deep. And anything that I've shared that's not of you, not of your work among us, that that would just kind of dissipate, go away with the wind. And especially as we come to the liturgy of the table and we, at the very least, kind of commune with you spiritually in this moment, would you give each of us a fresh taste, a fresh glimpse of your goodness and grace for us such that we would be strengthened as we're sent out, as we go from this time into your city, a city that you love, into this country, a country that you love, strengthened to live faithfully, to bear fruit, to participate in your coming kingdom. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.